What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, it is Coach Andrea and I for another Q&A. Man, I feel like the last two weeks, I have not podcasted in forever. Um, Andrea, fill us in. What has been going on with you the last couple of weeks? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I haven't podcasted <laughs> in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I guess you feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it might be a bumpy ride today. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, the last couple of weeks have been good. I, uh, had a bit of a food increase from my coach, which is always kind of nice. I, I mean, I wasn't in like a huge deficit or anything before. Um, and I guess we're just trying to stay in maintenance. He really didn't want me in a big deficit before just kind of, um, with, I don't know how productive it is to like go down everything, but like with, um, the focus on gut health and everything, food was a bit low. And then we're just trying to kind of adjust things up as maintenance hopefully comes up a bit. Um, and training has stayed the same, but it's feeling really good. So everything's going well on that front. How about you? Okay. With your, yeah. with your food increases. <laughs> <laughs> My food increases, I think have been much more drastic than yours. Yeah. I actually have podcasted. So last, was it two weeks ago now? Uh, I was on Brian Borstein and Aaron Straker's podcast, Eat, Train, Post, yeah. Prosper. That was a about very reverse. good conversation too. Anybody that hasn't listened to it, I would go listen to that. Cause I think there's a lot of confusion around reverse dieting. And I think most of it just comes down to the nuance and differences of like who we're speaking to and the purpose of, of using it. Yeah. I was really stoked to be able to like talk with the guys about that because I agree. And I think it's something that like needs, I think that it, there needs to be more clarity around it than there is because I do think it's something that's misapplied, especially like I think so many coaches just take it face value. Like a client comes and starts working with you, and it's like, especially like someone who is like, I remember when I was coaching people in person, I didn't understand this. It was like the client who, like, hates who improve your health markers. Like we need to see a significant amount of fat loss and like, they're fully aware of that. And like, that's their goal, but it's like, Hey, I'm only eating 1400 calories and I can't lose. Right. And for me at the time, just like taking that at face value and not being able to like understanding how to dig into like all the other factors that we discussed there, where it's like, I thought that they needed a reverse diet, but really they didn't at all need a reverse diet. Like, it's just something that I wish I personally would have understood sooner. So, um, that was cool. And on that, I know I talked a little bit about basically, so wrapped up the photo shoot. Um, it's been a crazy couple of weeks actually, since we last podcasted. So I think last time we podcasted was what I proposed that evening. And then we went to Hawaii. Um, the photo shoot was the Tuesday before that. So been a crazy couple of weeks, but yeah, over the period of time when I was in Hawaii, so really up until yesterday, um, we were just in kind of a recovery phase slash diet break. So, on the daily, I had a 1,000 to 1,250 calorie increase from where I was within the diet. So that brought me up to like 3,500 on training days and like 3,000 on my rest days. Um, and yeah, it's with like the trip and whatnot, Brandon just gave me a lot more flexibility to, hey, like hit your calorie goal, hit your protein goal. Um, and then kind of you can let things fall where they may. But that that was that was it was good. Um, I feel like I managed the trip very well. Like Hawaii is honestly pretty easy where uh, I prepped a good amount of my food. So like, I still try to keep most of my staples. And this is the thing, like, I think when people travel, like if you deviate too much, like I very much still try to prioritize fiber and food quality. So like 
I was eating like my breakfast was still always oats with a bunch of berries and some Greek yogurt. And then I was consistently eating like sweet potatoes mixed with some green beans, like some super lean ground Turkey. So I was able to like consistently, like at least two to three meals of my day were like what I would normally eat in very fiber and nutrient dense foods. And then like when I would go out, it's super easy to just choose like a lean protein and a starch on the side, right? Rather than it being like, hey, the only options we have are like lasagna or like casseroles, like especially in Hawaii, it's like there's tons of great options for lean fish, like ahi tuna. Ahi tuna steaks are crazy good. And the macros are so like the macros just don't even make sense how good yeah, they are. How much protein there is in them. Right. It's, it's so good. Um, So I ate a ton of that and like shrimp, shrimp, very similar. Another great option. I mean, even if you get into like salmon, like it's going to be more fatty, still not like a bad option by any means, but honestly, so I just ate a lot of lean fish and rice for my meals out and managed pretty well. Um, morning of the shoot. So like my fully depleted weight, I think it was 177 morning of the shoot after carving up, I was 181.6. And then what, as of this morning, I think I was 182.9. So, I mean, really like and part of the goal of the last two weeks was we did want me to gain a little bit of fat, right? Below a certain threshold of body fat, we're just not going to be healthy anymore. But so, and like, that's like part of our goal was, yeah, we do want to be a little bit heavier when we gain a little bit of fat, but very, very happy with how that went again, like weights in a very similar place. So last couple of weeks have been good. Um, training has been to kind of enhance the recovery period. We're very much like before we can push hard, our goal is recovery. Um, to enhance that we've been around three to four RIR for the last two weeks. And then again, our plan is to just keep it at three RIR, RIR again this week, which has honestly been the hardest thing. Um, yeah, you're eating more, I'm sure you're itching to really push Oh yeah. It. But again, it's very much like we want to make sure that we're actually in a good position to push hard before we start doing so. Um, but I know like Natalie, uh, on our team is about to go through something very similar. And that's like, I feel your pain there. Cause I know she's already ex- not excited to have to pull back on training just a bit, but gym I was at was actually, that was one of my main concerns was like, are there not going to be any gyms there? But the gym that I, I found a gym like 20 minutes from us that I was actually like, so we were on Kauai. I think, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but the gym I was at was actually like the best equipped gym I've, I think I've ever been to. It was oh, like every, everything there was like Atlantis or like, um, they had a bunch of like the strive equipment, which is prime, like before, like basically prime bought strive and they make yeah. essentially the same equipment. So it has like the adjustable, um, like lengthened mid range, shortened overload for everything. It was, it was, it was a really cool gym. So, um, that was great as a whole good couple of weeks, but yeah, those are my updates, I guess. So now that you're eating more food, I know that in the past you've said that you really just don't enjoy eating more than like 26, 2700 calories a day. How is that going? Um, this morning has been a grind so far, actually. <laughs> so like I am. So again, like as of yesterday, we're back to a lot more structure where, and this is by choice as much as anything, like how we approach it is Brandon essentially lays out a meal plan and it's like, Hey, if you want to deviate from this, that's fine. You can just use your macros, but um, five, six days a week, at least I want to just essentially follow that because I really just do better with a lot more structure there. So like, this is my, 
have 60 grams of highly branched cyclic dextrin that I'm drinking or of carbs from highly branched cyclic dextrin that I'm drinking into a workout. And it's like, clearly I'm still drinking that. So I think I mix it with too much water. Um, as I'm in too bad, actually, we'll see how the next couple of weeks go. I mean, I right think right. Hungry, so. Yeah. Like right now isn't the best litmus test for it because the first couple of weeks to like month post diet, especially, especially if you're staying relatively lean and not just going extremely hard and gaining back a bunch of fat tissue, like hunger is typically going to stay a little bit higher. So I'll be interested to see where it's at in another couple of months. I think also though, for me, it's a lot of just like, as I said before, making sure that I am maintaining that structure, those consistent meal times. Like for me, for a long time, I think it was like eating enough in the mornings was a big deal. And what, like, that was a little bit more of a challenge where I've really found that if I wake up and rather than like having caffeine right away, I have like the hydration drink that we talked about and just focus on getting hydrated first for whatever reason. Well, I mean, I just like, don't feel as nauseous as if like, and this makes complete sense as if like before the first thing I drank was caffeine, yeah. that really helps me eat more <laughs> in the mornings, which in turn, I think will make it all a lot easier. So I'm really interested to see how that goes. Yeah. Our five-year-old has been requesting that we give us, that we give him some apple cider vinegar in water. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> incredible. Yeah. So uh, funny. Do, do you find you mix your, do you just do apple cider vinegar and water or you, so you do that hold? I haven't been doing the apple cider vinegar lately because I do glutamine and um, I get nauseous if I have too much liquid. And so I was doing the glutamine and water and then some apple cider vinegar and water. That wasn't like anything that my coach asked me to do. I was just doing it. Um, and so I was getting nauseous with so much liquid. And so I just dropped the apple cider vinegar and just, I'm just doing glutamine. Okay. I have one of my clients going through the flush, a flush protocol right now. And that's like that the apple cider vinegar is part of that protocol twice a day. Mm-hmm. And I know for her, she was like, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this, which I, I remember that actually, but yeah, it's just like, it does. T- it's like an acquired taste. Yeah. And I mean, for the listener that like, I feel like there's a lot of hype around apple cider vinegar, but essentially they're like the acidity of that will help increase stomach acid, which in turn is going to help digestion, but it's not like a magic superfood or anything of that nature. Um, but yeah, I really think it's also something where like after the first day or two, I remember like the first day I did it, I was legitimately like, I felt like I was going to puke and I was like, I don't care if you're doing this. I, for me, it really helps to do it right after I brush my teeth because you just like can't really taste it. (laughs) But anyways, one of the biggest things with doing something like that in the morning is the regimen. Like you're starting off with something that it's not like your favorite thing. You're not doing it for the taste. You're doing it for just the benefit. And that's like just a mindset switch in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And that's like, I've heard the same thing with like green strengths, but Mm -hmm. it's, I do think very much like how you start your day dictates so, (laughs) excuse me, dictates so much. Like I know for me, if I check my emails right when I wake up, um, or if I check social media, it, my day is going to be less productive where I think very much it's kind of just like setting is kind of, that sounds cheesy, but it very much does set the tone for your day. Like for me, like the non-negotiables are like, I don't check email. I don't check social media until I get up. I've like had that hydration drink and I have at very least gone for a walk and kind of been able to reflect on like, how do I want to handle the day? 
and things of that nature where i think like it's kind of in the same kind of in the same lane as that where it's like it doesn't seem like it should be that big of a deal but just like it's almost like setting an intention throughout the day and i think very much like how you start that day does bleed over so much like you either start the day with momentum or you start the day with none right Mm -hmm. cool um anything else that you want to talk about before we get into the questions i don't think so okay Perfect. All right. So I will kick the first over to you, which is from LT Hale. Uh, shout out for all the good questions over the last couple of years. Um, she says best exercise. Well, she asks rather best exercises to build core strength for overall health, not hypertrophy. Okay. So whenever we think about overall health in, in terms of core versus hypertrophy, Usually with hypertrophy, you're thinking the flexion-based exercises, like anything that's going to um, flex your spine to bring your hips closer to your rib cage or vice versa, and um, usually doing that under load so that you can you know, create enough stimulus to hypertrophy those six-pack abs, which is your, um, tra- or not transverse abdominis, but um, the rectus abdominis. Now underneath that is the transverse abdominis. And that is like a corset underneath everything else. And um, that is what helps create stability. It also plays a role in breathing. So usually that's my first thought whenever I think like core health is improving your connection to that and then the strength of that. So um, with with the transverse abdominis, my go-to exercises for that are um, first with, with any moms, I really like some breathing exercises and that's just big inhale around your ribs, not in your chest and then exhale. And as you exhale, you think about drawing your pelvic floor up and drawing your TBA in. So like think about belly button to your spine. And whenever you sync those things up, it helps improve the connection to your TBA. And then um, that, if you get that working together better then the core exercises that you do from then on will actually work better. So um, then the actual exercises that you may do in the gym would be things like uh, dead bug, which is where you lay on your back with knees and arms in the air and you alternate like opposite arm, opposite leg um, extending out. And whenever you do that, you, you draw your core in again with the exhale, just like in the breathing exercises, pressure low back down into the floor, to um, prevent any extension and then bring your limbs back together. Um, That's a great one. Another one that would be similar to that um, is gonna be just a standard plank or an RKC plank where, which is just a progression of a plank where your elbows are out in front of you, like underneath your eyes instead of underneath your shoulders. And you create a little bit of um, uh, round in your lower back to to put even more tension on on your core. Um, other ones that are really good are a pow-off press, which you can do with cables or a band. And essentially you, you hold onto the band or cables, take a step out away from the anchor point so that you have a little bit of tension on it and then keep your entire body stable and extend out with your arms and back in. And so just extending out with your arms means that, um, you have to, uh, tense things a little bit more in order to not twist. So it's an anti-rotation movement um, that those are really great. And then um, let's see outside of that. Um, 
I, I would say that some flexion-based work is going to be good for core health as well. So mm-hmm. I would work some things in there. You just don't necessarily have to add more and more load with like a cable crunch um, if you're not looking to specifically hypertrophy your abs. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a very thorough breakdown. And I think this, like, I know you work with a lot of clients who are in the postpartum period or how long do you consider it the postpartum period? Just forever. So a lot of people will say forever. Okay. <laughs> I don't really know if there's a technical time, but I mean, you can have issues with your core for years and years if you don't ever address it. Oh yeah. Like on the initial call, so many clients that both you and Julie work with typically like will bring up or I'll dig into this a little bit further. It's interesting. Like a lot of times people don't connect the dots, but we'll like mention like, man, my core just like has never been the same ever since I had kids. Like it's so much weaker. Mm -hmm. Like I have a lot more back pain. There is often like things that need to be addressed there. And so I think this is a lot, this is very relevant to a lot of the clients you work with. I'll say for like, because that's very much like that's an area where you are much better. You and Julie are both very good in that realm. Um, so typically you two are who they work with. Whereas like a lot of my clients, a lot of my clients haven't had kids. So within that, um, typically I'm not programming. Typically it's like, Hey, the, the ability to stabilize your core isn't an issue. So typically I am focusing more on the hypertrophy side of things, but within that I do really like, like, I do really like the RKC plank specifically. So when we're looking at your cores, like your uh, transverse abdominus, uh, your transverse abdominus, your obliques, basically your core's ability to stabilize your spine. We have three primary functions. So we have anti-extension, which would basically think like if you're in a plank position, keeping your hips from falling forward. We have anti-rotation. So basically like if you think of that pow-off press where you're pressing that cable out in front of you and that cable's to the side, it's like you're using your core to prevent you from rotating. And you, we have anti-lateral flexion, which would be basically think using your core to prevent you from side bending. Um, so, I mean, like, if you really wanted to like, I want to make sure I've trained all functions of my core, which I don't want to ever write a program where it's like, okay, we have each of these, we have anti-extension, anti-lateral flexion and anti-rotation, like within a single week, I think that's kind of overkill where really like a lot of these things will have carry over. But to answer the question, I'm kind of just rambling to answer the question. I really like that RKC plank, or a lot of times I'll call it a long lever pelvic tilt plank Mm -hmm. where there, I think the problem is a lot of times, like when people are doing a plank type movement, they're kind of just hanging out. They're not actually actively creating tension in their core, right? They might be letting their hips sag. And like a lot of the stress is sitting on their lower back, for example, where within that, like I'll intentionally cue clients again, your, your elbows are going to be closer to like under your eyes. And first I want you to intentionally squeeze your glutes and I want you to imagine you're actually tractioning your forearms down in the ground. Imagine you're trying to rotate the earth back towards your hips. Now we don't want your elbows actually like sliding along the floor back towards you, but like that intention, what, what that'll do is that'll really force you to actively create a lot of tension in your core. So whereas like if you were just hanging out in a plank where it's like, we're not actually focusing on creating a lot of tension, you could hang out in that for like three to five minutes if you want to be really bored for three to five minutes. But uh, whereas like if you do that, it's like 30, 40 seconds, it's, it's exhausting, right? So I really like that. And then past that, um, yeah, I largely agree with everything else there. Anything else to add from your right on? 
Yeah, I, because I was trying to think of um, the other main TBA exercise that I will use, and that's a, a TBA crunch. So um, those I actually probably use the most at this point, but it really, you have to be really intentional how you perform them. Yeah. yeah. So like I can do, I can just kind of like go through the motions on those and feel nothing. And I've definitely had clients be like, Hey, these are too easy. <laughs> and so we'll have to like talk through the, the cues on those. Um, but what you do is on a stability ball, um, you'll, you'll get into like a usual sit up position and then you'll, you'll round your back over the ball. So think, Think like the cat cow movement where you're on your hands and knees, you round your back down and then you round your back up. So you're kind of doing that same motion. So you round your back back around the ball. And then as you come up, you scoop your hips under and crunch forward, but you're not crunching to where your, your torso is straight up and down. You end up at like a 45 degree backward lean. And so you still have tension on your core just from, from preventing you from coming back down, but then you also are curling your hip bones under and that, is if you're doing it correctly, a killer movement. Like you feel a ton of tension in your core doing those. And those are great for your TVA as well. Are you thinking about anything with your breathing throughout that? Just the inhale on the way back, exhale on the way up, just like you would any other movement. Yeah. But I mean, you'll, I mean, I've done it a ton at this point, but if it's something new to you, you'll want to like actively think about, Okay, inhale out through the ribs, exhale, draw the pelvic floor and core in as you crunch. But you don't necessarily want to try to turn that. Like I've seen it cued like almost like you want to try to combine that stomach vacuum that you mentioned before with a crunch and it doesn't sound like you're taking it to that extent. I can't. I don't know if it's just that my core is strong enough. I (laughs) I know that's what, when when I tried it, that's how I was originally coached through it. I was like, I don't, I can't do it. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like it's more just like a normal exhale, but we're not necessarily like being intentional about trying to pull our pelvic floor up or anything of that nature. No, just your usual like tension through the pelvic floor and, and TVA as you come up. But to me, I can't do like the belly button to spine thing as I crunch. There's just too much tension there. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, What did you get as far as questions? Yeah. Uh, the one that I got was, I would like to hear your input on artificial sweeteners. Oh, um, yeah, I think that artificial sweeteners, uh, from my perspective, we have a large body of evidence seeming to prove that they are essentially a net neutral for most individuals. I think that, and we don't have any evidence to my knowledge of artificial sweeteners being detrimental to someone's health. Now, I think there are like some lines here to talk about. Some clients will, for example, notice like erythritol really just jacks me up. That really jacks up my digestion. Okay. That's very similar. So honestly, how I see this is very similar. Like if someone asks, is dairy bad? Is gluten bad? Right. And it, it's, is it, as a whole, just something we should say is like bad or should be avoided. If you tolerate it, fine. Absolutely not. Perfectly fine. But if it is something that does seem to give you issues, yes. Like I do think it would be good to avoid. And like for a lot of people, it'll be again, like erythritol is a very common, um, would we even consider that? I don't know if we would necessarily consider that just like a quote unquote artificial sweetener, but it reminds me of like 
very it's kind of like in a similar vein here where similarly if we're talking about like sucralosis can like if some individuals issues right so i think it somewhat depends on your response to it but as a whole i don't think it's anything that's bad or should be avoided right on the flip side it helps like i think so many times people kind of put the car before the horse when it comes to artificial sweeteners so if we look at like like individuals that will drink normal soda instead of diet soda because they don't want to um consume the artificial sweeteners and diet soda right <laughs> where it's like especially if we're looking at like an individual whose health could be improved like their metabolic health could be improved by reducing body fat levels where that's like we've had millions of people die every year from problems related to like metabolic health cardiovascular health things of that nature Whereas we don't have any cases of anyone dying from artificial sweeteners, right? So if we're like weighing one versus the other, it probably makes sense to choose the artificial sweeteners. So again, I think in a lot of scenarios where we're looking at like fat loss specifically, I think on one end, I do think that relying on too many like processed or like artificially sweet products. Like I've talked about this a lot with my own, with my own fat loss phase where um, it's been so much easier as I've started focusing, like over the last years, as I've consumed more and more nutrient dense foods versus like in like 2018, when I did my first photo shoot prep and I was basically just playing, if it fits your macros and mostly eating a lot more processed foods and foods that naturally we're gonna have a lot more artificial sweeteners as well. Right. I don't think that if we're just like, I don't, I don't know if fake foods is the term I want to use, but I think everybody will understand what I'm saying. Like when I say that. Like, I think if we're in a fat loss phase and we're relying entirely on those, we're probably going to be like, typically what I would, do you think it's accurate to say that foods that have a lot of artificial sweeteners are typically probably going to be pretty void of micronutrients? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good generalization. Yeah. So like that's there, there's a, there's a line there, right? Where. I don't think that your diet should be composed entirely of those foods. Again, like we've talked about, we especially within the last year, year and a half, we talked a lot about the important uh, importance of hitting your micronutrient needs, not just your macronutrient needs, right? So I definitely think it's something that can be taken too far. And like there, we're pushing it. And now it's not the artificial sweeteners in that case that would be directly having a negative impact on your health. But if we are under consuming our micronutrient needs, that will be detrimental, right? So within that, again, I think there's a fine line, but it's more so what they're pushing out and the actual impact of them. Um, so, but as a whole, like, I do think they can be very helpful in a fat loss phase. Again, like swapping a regular soda for a diet soda. If you do that every day, let's say, or twice a day with your normal daily sodas, daily sodas, whatever it is, that's easily like a thousand plus calories that we produced from the course of your week. Right. And that'll probably be a net positive again, if you need to improve health by reducing body fat. So I think that again, in oftentimes individuals, when they're worrying about things like this are kind of missing the forest for the trees, when it comes down to like, I think we could tie this back to the muscle and strength pyramids because it's almost always in a fat loss context or someone that's like chasing fat loss in a scenario like this, where we have to look at again, like things that are going to make a difference. Okay. At the bottom, we have your overall adherence. We have your energy balance or calories coming in. We have adherence to your macronutrients. We have your micronutrient needs. Then we have supplements. And I would put like worrying about things like artificial sweeteners, infrared saunas, stuff like that, where it's like, uh, 
it's probably just a net neutral, um, way, way above supplements even to where it's, we're so often missing the forest for, for the trees where it's, first of all, are we consistently controlling our calorie intake? Are we consistently hitting our protein needs? Are you consistently hitting your micronutrient needs? Right. I would very much focus on that before, but that's my take. What do you have to add there? I agree with all of that. As in terms of research, I will defer to people who are very good at interpreting that. And so in this case, somebody like Lane Norton usually has really good information on, on this. It's something that he's covered a ton. And it seems that like other than the rat study that showed some sort of cancer from it, um, there's not been any detriment in that, that particular study. Um, the amount that they took in was insane. Like you'd have to have multiple tens of two liters worth of diet soda per day to equal that same amount. And who knows if that's what actually caused it in that study anyway. Um, so there, the, I, I agree hundred percent on like, how are you digesting it? That's the main thing that I'll look at. And, um, you know, if it makes you really bloated or just makes you feel bad, probably something that you should avoid. If not, then I don't see any issue with it. Um, I think that, like you said, there's, there's a big difference in having every meal consist of something that is like a packaged product with artificial sweeteners versus like having a diet soda once or twice a day with your meals. Um, so those two diets look completely different and it's not because of the artificial sweeteners. It's because of the food that you're, that you're eating as a majority of your diet. So, I mean, I use them occasionally. I, I got some EAAs that were unflavored, which is a big mistake because they taste terrible. So I, I got some like <laughs> Mio to squirt in there and, um, I think that if you look at people who are pretty healthy, like someone like Brandon DeCruz, who he's going to optimize every variable in his diet and he eats mustard with Splenda in it. So if he <laughs> thought that, that was going to be a detriment to his health or his physique, he wouldn't do that. Right. So, if, and if you look at people as a whole who are living a healthy lifestyle, there's a large majority of that, you know, group of people who are taking in artificial sweeteners. And, and I think that that's kind of a good way of, you know, judging, judging things. And it's like, um, like you said, the, the biggest rocks are going to be, how's your sleep? How are you stay, staying on your micronutrient targets? Um, what are your, I said micronutrients, but I meant macronutrients, but then also like, what are your micronutrient intakes? Like, um, just so many things to worry about before artificial sweeteners. And then even once you get to that level, I don't think that it's something to worry about. One of the things that people will bring up is like, well, it changes your microbiome, but with microbiome, it's so variable based on what you're eating, drinking, breathing anyway, that like literally everything changes. Yeah. Eating broccoli results in a microbiome that looks one way versus eating bell peppers that results in a microbiome that looks a different way. So like literally everything you eat or drink is going to change your microbiome. So, um, I think that that is something that people just kind of use to, to maybe play on the, the fear because it sounds scary. Right. And it's something that nobody really understands that well. So, um, I think that 
listening to um, the the claims like that can can make you pretty nervous about it. But if you actually look at the evidence, it's overwhelmingly like net neutral, as you said, or can be even positive if you're replacing a lot of sugar with it. Absolutely. And again, a lot of people go back to, was it aspartame? Was that the rat study? The people always talk about cancer. Mm -hmm. That's what, again, like things like that are sensationalized so much. But if you like look at the dosage there, it's like you would probably drown yourself in diet Coke before you were ever able to actually consume that much. And this understanding, like, like anything, even if we're looking at your micronutrients, like we have toxic levels of like your B vitamins, vitamin D thing, like anything like that. If we just take it and like super dose it to the extreme, like way past what, like there have been water. If we drink too much water, you get like, mm-hmm. it's, it's very similar to that. You know what I mean? Where it's sensationalized, but like people aren't sensationalizing, like, well, we should avoid vitamin D right. Where it's, I just, it's just an interesting th- thing. Um, I don't know. I don't think I have anything else to add there. Do you? No. Okay. Last one I have is plate loaded versus pin loaded machines. What's the difference in impact? Okay. So with a pin loaded machine, um, that is something that has a cable. And so if you're thinking about like a leg extension, with a, uh, a pin loaded variation versus a leg extension with a plate loaded version. Unless we're talking about like the prime or strive version where you can overload different parts of it. Um, the, the pin loaded is gonna have the cable in it that runs around a cam. And so you have even resistance throughout the entire movement. Um, like as soon as you start extending your leg out, you have resistance against you're against that movement. Um, now with a plate loaded machine, you're going to have resistance in the shortened overload position. So if you think leg extension, um, the, you know, unless you rig it up to be different, the, the weight won't be directly opposing gravity until your leg is fully extended. So you're going to have most of that resistance against the muscle at the, at the very shortened position where your leg is extended fully out. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, basically what you can look at is again, like there's for all plate loaded machines, there's going to be an arm essentially that the plate is loaded on and there's going to be a pivot point, which is kind of like the little socket like area where that arm is attached to the machine and it's rotating and the distance, the point where that the weight, the actual, like where the plates are loaded is furthest from that pivot point is where the resistance is going to be the greatest. So below and above that it is going to get easier. And most plate loaded machines are set up so that, um, as we get closer to the short position. So think like, if you think of like a plate loaded leg extension, for example, um, there essentially the plates are going to be loaded right next to your ankles, right? So as you extend your ankles, your ankles get further from your knee, which is also like right around your knee joint is where the pivot point for that machine is going to be. Again, that moment arm is getting longer, but we're also getting like closer and closer to that short position of the quad. So most, most movements like, and that's the thing is we can manipulate plate loaded machines quite a bit. Like if we want to overload more lengthened, more shortened, but most plate loaded machines will typically be, as you said, more shortened like a little bit more biased to 
be more challenging in the shortened position. Um, but again, there are quite a few ways we can manipulate them. And then, as you said, like with pin loaded machines, if they have a round cam, so just like a perfectly circular cam, that's going to be an even resistance throughout the movement. So there's not going to be much fall off, but on the flip side, like, so like I got picked up a new leg extension leg curl from, um, Facebook marketplace and it has an egg shaped cam. So think like an oval there again, you'll actually get a little bit more variable resistance profile where a lot of times. So for like, for that one, it's hardest in the lengthen. So it's hardest like for my leg extension at the bottom, my leg curls at the top. And then there's a bit of fall off as we get closer to the short. And so it's easier towards the top. It is a little bit of the leg extension and easier towards the bottom of a leg curl. So there will still be like, you can look at if you really want to nerd out over this, which I don't think it's really worth your while for most people to do so. But um, if you want to nerd out over this, you can look at like, okay, is this like a perfectly circular cam? Um, basically the pulley that the cable is running over or is it more oval or egg shaped, right? And that'll clue you into that a bit more. Anything else to add there? So, well, yeah. So the, as far as impact, um, as we've talked about on here before, if you're usually going to get a better hypertrophy stimulus from something that's lengthened overload. So think, usually think more like compound lifts, like a, um, a squat is going to be lengthened overload for the quads, whereas shortened overload for the quads would be like that leg extension. So if you, like, if you're getting really picky with things and you want a length and overload movement, you would go with something closer to like what Jeremiah has, where it's got the length and overload emphasis. Um, and the, the, so for every upside, there's for every Gibby, there's a gotcha, right? Like uh, to use Brandon's term, um, for there's pros and cons to everything. So if we're looking at lengthened overload movements, they are typically more fatiguing and more damaging. Um, in this case, probably not quite as big of a difference because it is still a seated uh, single joint movement versus like a squat. But um, lengthened overload movements are going to be a little bit more damaging, a little bit more uh, fatiguing versus a single overload or a um, sorry, the shortened overload movement where they're not going to be quite as good of a stimulus, but they're also less fatiguing. So that's why we'll usually do like a two to three or a two to one ish um, split of like lengthened overload movements to shortened overload movements. You still want to work the whole, um, the whole um, strength curve and emphasize both portions of it. Uh, so you don't want to only do lengthened overload movements probably, but um, I kind of got lost in the, the sentence, but uh, it, that's that's like what the different impacts would be is, is if you're using something that's more shortened overload, it's probably going to be less fatiguing. You'll get more of a pump versus something that's more length and overload emphasis. So are you keeping both of yours so that you can use sometimes? <laughs> I sold my other one actually. Okay. <laughs> I have room in the garage. No, that's a good point though. And I mean, to that, not all plate loaded machines are going to be short and overload. There's still going to be something. So like, yeah. look at what I just and this is kind of like an, we need to like have a whiteboard to be able to fully explain <laughs> this. Cause then you have to like start talking about moment arms and like, what's the primary joint that's being acted upon here. So like, if we look at like a hack squat machine, for example, that is going to be a length and overload plate loaded movement, right? Or if we look at a leg press, yeah. that's going to be more mid range to lengthen, definitely not short and overload for either of those. So it's going to vary. Um, Basically, like to simplify this, you can just look at 
where does the movement feel the hardest, right? So if I'm doing a squat pattern, does it feel the hardest at the bottom? Like the bottom half, does it feel the hardest at the top half, right? Top half, then it's probably more short overload. Bottom half is probably more lengthened overload. That's really what I would say is like, or where do you fail first? That's like to simplify. And so we don't have to get into moment arms and things like that. Um, I think that would be the easiest way to kind of consider it. But yeah, that's like for most for, and that's the hard thing when it comes to like back training specifically, there's not going to be a lot of movements that are really like going to give us a good length and overload because naturally we're going to be a little bit weaker as we get towards a shortened position. So typically cables are going to be more shortened overload. Whereas we do have like some plate loaded equipment, like a hammer strength row. If we do like a step back version of that. So basically you'll know, like you're starting with that arm already pulled back some. So there basically the starting point is where the arm is straight out from that pivot point, And then it gets closer to us as we row back. So there, that's like a good length and overload movement. We're starting where the resistance is the greatest. So those plate loaded machines on the flip side are actually a way sometimes we can work around that. Um, I think we might just be making this overcomplicated at this point though. Do you have anything else to add there? No, we'll stop. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, hopefully that was helpful. If you're conf- like, if any of that didn't make sense, please feel free to DM either of us. And we're happy <laughs> to like try to better explain that. But that is what we have for you guys for this time. Um, and we will catch you all next time.